2017 what you expected it to be? <laughs> That's what I got thinking about as I was preparing today, looking back at 2017. Was it what you thought it was going to be this time last year as you were looking forward to the next year? Or how many unexpected things happened this year? You know, did Kelsey expect to have emergency gallbladder surgery? And Alex, did Alex expect to have uh, surgery for kidney stones? Did Andrew expect to fall off a scooter and break his arm? Uh, my sister, who lives down in Vegas this time last year, she didn't expect that right now she would have a, a new boy. That's exciting. How many of us didn't expect to be in uh, financial trouble right now that we're in? How many of us didn't expect to have financial surplus right now like we might have? A great job. Lost our job. A lot of things we didn't expect. So what's this year going to hold? I have good news for you. We have no idea. <laughs> we have no idea what this year is going to hold. And so that's why we titled this, you know, How to Thrive in 2018. Although we don't know what's going to happen this year, how can we not just survive, but thrive this year? We're going to be looking at the Israelites in Joshua. You can turn to Joshua, but that's where we're going to be. And we're going to see that they were going through a time of transition. Something new was happening, and God needed to communicate to them what was important. Because they had something coming. They didn't know what was going to happen. But God said, you can make it anyway, because I'm going to be with you. And that was kind of the big thing this year. Do we know? We don't know what's going to happen. But we do know who's going to go with us. That's how we can make it, is knowing who's going with us. You know, we here at, at Common Ground as a church, this is going to be a big year. This is gonna be a big year because we really feel God leading in certain ways. Uh, God is growing the church. God is growing people, more importantly. People are growing. People are coming to him. Uh, marriages are growing. Things are happening. And so we expect God to do greater things in 2018 than he did in 2017. Uh, we have the plumbers now here just starting out with our youth and kids. Pretty exciting stuff. We, we expect, we don't know for sure, we expect God is gonna lead us to be planting probably late this year in Minden, planting a church in Minden. Who knows? We don't know exactly, but we feel God leading in that direction. What is God leading you to this year? What is God asking you to do this year in your family? What opportunities do you have coming up this year, whether it's work, whether it's school? What's going? We don't know what's gonna happen, but we do know the way to make it through is to know who's going with us. If God does everything that that we think he's planning to do, it's going to be a big year. It's going to be a tough year, too. It's going to be a tough year. Turn, please, to Joshua chapter 3. But here's the big thrust of today. Remembering and praising God's presence and power in the past gives us confidence and hope in God's current and future presence and power with us. We're going to make it because of God's presence and God's power. And the way to make it is to look back and remember. And so that's what the Israelites are going to be told to do is to remember. And God's going to do some great things. But here's, here's the situation. If you're not so familiar with the Old Testament, here's what happened. Maybe you've heard of Moses. Moses was the guy, the, the Israelites had been promised the promised land. It's actually where Israel current, currently exists. That land was promised to them, golly, 5,000 years ago. Um, 4,500 years ago, a long time ago, that land was promised to Abraham, then his son Isaac, then his son Jacob, then Jacob's 12 sons. That became the nation of Israel. 
There was a famine in the land. The Israelites moved out of their land because of the famine and went to Egypt. If you know the, the story of Joseph, Joseph was one of, of uh, Jacob's sons uh, who they thought was killed. He ended up being taken to Egypt, lifted up, gone from a slave to basically in charge of the entire nation. And God let, put him in that situation in order to bring the Israelites there so that they could survive during this famine. Well, what happened was they ended up staying there for 400 years. Joseph dies. Uh, the, the, the Egyptians look at all these Israelites growing and, and multiplying like I told them to do, be fruitful and multiply. They did. And so now the Egyptians look at them and go, this is scary stuff. They're getting too big. And they made them slaves. So they became slaves in Egypt for 400 years till Moses was lifted up. God raised up Moses to bring Israel out. Israel was God's chosen people in a similar way that the church now is God's chosen people. So they were God's chosen people. God led them out of Egypt. The, the story is amazing if you read through it, all the things that happened to lead them out. They cross the Red Sea. They go up to the land of Canaan, and they're going to take the land. And they send 12 spies. If you remember the story, the spies went in, they looked at the land, and they came back, and 10 of the 12 said, we can't do it. It's too scary. There's giants in the land. Yeah, there's great fruit. Yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants there. We'll never make it. They didn't realize that they had just crossed a Red Sea that had been parted miraculously, except for two of the spies said, no, you guys are all crazy. Look what God has done. Let's go. Let's take it. Well, the, the, the whole nation listened to the 10, and they didn't take it. So Moses then was forced to lead them around the wilderness uh, in, in the desert, wandering for 40 years. And the punishment, God said, was anybody 20 years and older is not going to make it to the promised land. You're all going to die. So when they finally are going to take the land, pretty much everybody is 60 or under. They didn't have a lot of the old folks because they refused to go in. Their punishment was you don't get to go in. So now that's where we're at. We're now 40 years later. All of those who rebelled are now dead. All of those who, who disobeyed are now dead. And now Moses had just died new leader Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land. So this time, God is saying, let's do it again. Now, take this land that I've promised to give to you. Go, I'm going to, I'm going to push the people out before you. Move in and take it. a big change in their lives. I mean, these people, they had known slavery in Egypt. You know, think about the age here. So some of them, they grew up as slaves. Then they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Now they're going to have land that's actually theirs. They're going to be one with their God. God's going to be with them. Big changes happening. In a similar way, we're moving into a new year. What changes are happening for us as a church, God's people? What changes are happening for you and your family? And specifically, what is God calling you to do for him? Whether it's in family or work or in life. But we can relate. And so we're going to see how the Israelites learn that they're not just going to survive, but how can they thrive? So look with me. We're going to cover a lot of verses, but we're going to do kind of a running commentary, and it's, it's narrative, so it's exciting stuff. But look with me at Joshua 3, chapter 7. Did we have the, the page number pop up? We didn't? That's all right. Ah, page 200. So grab a Bible from underneath you, turn to page 200, or use your device. That's legal, I guess. Not as spiritual, but... <laughs> all right, Joshua... I'm totally kidding. It's okay. Joshua 3, verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So real quick, 
The Ark, do we know what the Ark is? Have you seen um, Indiana Jones, where does the last Ark? Okay, that's what the Ark looked like. The Ark represented God's presence with his people. They, they built it while they were in the wilderness uh, before they came the first time. They built this, all the artists, you know, God made people skillfully artists and they built this ark. Uh, the Ten Commandments were held inside. Uh, Aaron's rod that budded was put inside and it represented God's presence. It was carried around by poles. Poles went through and the priests carried it. That's the ark. The ark is very, very important. If you read through the Old Testament, it's kind of fun to watch the ark. Uh, it gets captured once and they have to send it back because horrible things happen to the people that take it. Those that keep it are blessed. So it represents God's presence with his people. So the ark... He tells the priests who are taking the ark, go down to the Jordan. Verse 9, Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So picture that. We have a picture up here of the Jordan. Here's the Jordan River. At this time, this was the time of the floods, and so the, the Jordan River was probably about 100 feet wide and 10 feet deep and flowing at this time. And so they get to the Jordan River, and they need to cross over it to take the land. Uh, let's, we have a map here kind of of the area of where the Jordan is. So here's, you see Bethany beyond the Jordan? That's about where they probably crossed somewhere in that area. So they came from the wilderness south and east and they came up and they were gonna cross the river right there and take the land. They, remember Jericho? You've seen uh, Veggie Tales? Uh, Jericho, that was their first real battle as they entered the promised land was Jericho. So they crossed right by Jericho going in. The Jordan River was right in the way. They had millions of people. They had to cross the Jordan River. And so God tells them, here's what's gonna happen. Take the Israelites, or take the, the priests, carry the ark, go down, put your feet in the water of the Jordan, and when you do, it's going to be stopped up about 18 miles north of where they were. 18 miles north, the river would stop, they would walk across on dry land. This was what they were commanded to do. God wants them to know that he is with them and that he's going to do what he promised. Why is he going to do this miracle? Well, for one, they have to get across. But the reason is given in verse 10. Joshua said, here's how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you. And then he lists all the people there. The reason he does this miracle is to prove to them, I'm with you. I'm with you. He had been proving it to him the whole time in the wilderness, but he wants to show them now. Now, as you move forward, doing what I told you to do, I'm with you. And I'm going to do what I promised to do. He's told them what he's going to do, drive them out. Not all the details of how, but he's going to drive them out, take the land. He's told them what he's going to do. This miracle is to show I'm with you and I'm going to do what I promised. Don't we need those same, that, that same confidence in our life that he's with us and that he's going to do what he promised? 
and, and what we see, what I think is important is, is God says, when you obey, when you faithfully follow, I'll do the heavy lifting. All they do is go. God does all the significant work. He's the one that stops up the river. They don't have to do it. They're not told to go build a dam. God does the heavy lifting when we faithfully obey and follow what he's wanting us to do. Now look at verse 12. Verse 12, we're shown that 12 men are chosen. We don't know what for yet, but he says, here's what's gonna happen. Send the priests down. They're gonna put their feet in and have 12 men ready. One from each tribe of Israel. Have them ready. So they're probably there with the priests close by waiting for their instructions. They're not sure what they're supposed to do yet, but they have a job to do. It's gonna be an important role. Look at verse 14 with me. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks through the time of harvest. And the, wa the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. God proves that he's present and powerful by doing this work. And how he does it is he, the ark that symbolizes his presence goes first. You know, picture that scene. If you were there, maybe, you know, how old do we have here? We've got Annika and Brennan, 1819. Imagine you're 1819. All you've ever known is life in the, the wilderness, the desert. You hear the stories of the crossing of the Red Sea, but you weren't there. And now you come to this and you're told we're going to cross over. And remember, there's giants over there. We're going to cross over and we're going to take this land. But there's this giant river in the way and it's overflowing. The waters stop above. You get When they got to it, the waters hadn't stopped yet. And because it's overflowing the banks, have you ever seen that? There's probably a bunch of logs coming down with it. That's just what happens when, when rivers are flowing and overflowing their banks. So they get there, they see this kind of a scary sight. God stops it up and they walk across on dry ground. Notice one thing though. When does the miracle happen? When their feet touch the water. The miracle happens when all four priests carrying, carrying that ark, when they're in the water. I think that's a big deal for us as believers now, as God's people, that we need to obey what we're told to do. And then he responds in our obedience. They were told to do it. They did it. It was when they walked in. That's when the water stopped. That's when the miracle happened. For some reason, God works through his people, not around them. It's always been that way. God did the miracle of stopping it up, but he worked through his priest carrying the ark to walk first, to go out there. He works through his people, not around him. Do you want to thrive in 2018? Obey what you already know. Do what you've already been told to do. What have you already been told to do? Pursue him. Make disciples. A lot of things. But do you want to thrive this year? Do what you've been told to do. I hear a lot of times people complain, oh, I'm not close to God, I don't feel God. It, you know, and then I say, well, when's the last time you spent time in the word? I don't remember. <laughs> it, people are not obeying what they already know, but they expect more blessings from God. That's not the way it works. Obey what you know. 
This is one of the things that you know, we've learned from God through the last years is God seems to work this way. He, he shows a step. You know, maybe you've prayed that prayer, God, what's the next step for us? What do you want us to do? And you pray and you pray and you wait and you wait. And then maybe a light comes on on, on the first step. And you're like, yeah, but I want to know what's step 10. God's like, no, no, <laughs> I'm going to show you that one. Now take that step. Now wait. <laughs> and maybe he'll show you two more steps. Awesome. And then you take those and, and you wait. We've probably heard this often. I would be faithfully obedient if I knew what was going to happen. That's never the way God works, ever, ever, ever. God always says, obey a little bit, and then I'll show you more, and then I'll show you more. And that's how God leads. That's how God blesses. Faithfully obey what you know. As a church, there's some things we know that we're told to do. Why is it that the American church doesn't thrive? Largely, we don't obey what we've been told to do. What are we told to do as a church, primarily? Love God. Love God. Number one, we exist to love God. I love sitting here right now singing that last song we sang. Great are you, Lord. We're made to worship. Doesn't that just feel right? Mm -hmm. To look up and go, great are you, Lord. Lift him up in praise. By the way, as I was sitting here, I had this weird thought. Maybe you do this sometimes. I was thinking, you can sing with your head voice. You can sing with your chest voice. I have musicians in the family. But what God wants when we sing here is to sing with our heart voice. It's the heart that he cares about, not how good our voices are. So, you know, you guys can sing loud even if your voice isn't great. But, but, it's, but it's the heart that loves God. That's what glorifies him. That then comes out in the singing and the praise. We're made to love God, but then we're made to make disciples. The church exists to go make disciples. We know that's the case. So we worship, we pursue him, we love him, we love others and we go make disciples. If we're not engaging, intentionally trying to make disciples, how can we expect his blessing in our life? Honestly, and I don't know what that looks like exactly for you. Maybe it's over here with the kids. I know it's with your family. If you're a parent, I know it's with your kids, but what else? How are you called to make disciples? If we're not gonna obey that command, I don't think we'll get more blessings. So look at this though. Here's the situation. The the. River stops up, the ground is dry, the ark goes across, stops in the middle. God is saying, I am before you, he goes first. The ark stops as everybody passes. He says, I'm going before you and I'm in the midst of you, I'm with you. And they cross over. Now, the 12 men are gonna get their instructions. Look at chapter four, verse one. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man. The 12 men that were standing there going, what's our job? He's like, I don't know yet. God tells him, take these men and command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you will lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what did those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. 
These men pick up a stone, and notice they put them on their shoulders. These are big stones. These aren't like little pebbles. They picked up what they could carry, put it on their shoulder from the middle of the Jordan. Not stones you could get to most of the time. You could get to them right now because it was dry ground, it was stuff. They pick them up and they carry them across the river to the place where they were going to sleep that night. They put them in a pile. They stack them up. God is telling them, don't forget. He does this miracle. We already saw why. He does it to prove to them, I'm with you and I'm going to do what I promised. And then he says, and I want you to remember this promise and remember this miracle that I did. Take these stones and pile them over there. Don't forget because... The next generation, they might forget. And the generation after that, for some reason, the Israelites were really forgetful people. And they didn't, they didn't pass on the stories as well as they should. Luckily, we're not like that. And so they had a, this picture, set up these stones to remember so that they could tell the story over and over and over. Do you guys have anything like that in your life? I mean, we get that picture. Do you have one of those things that just brings back memories? You know, for me, it's, it's the church I grew up in. The old church building, which now is something else, a doctor's office or something. But I, I can drive by and I still see the back door that went down into the kids' area. It was like a cellar. And we would climb on top of this little thing and throw snap pops at birds. And I mean, I just have all these memories of being there. I remember climbing the bell tower with my grandpa and cleaning out the rat's nest and making sure the bell was going to work. And, and I remember you know, sneaking in there on other days and opening up the bell tower, taking out the rope and hanging on it. And ding, ding, ding. But I remember most, all of this was part of, that's where I met with God. That's where God met with me. I experienced God there at that church. I experienced him in Sunday school. I experienced him with, with those who dug into me in youth group. I remember, and, and even just driving by now, it helps me remember. Or the camp, Camp Iana. Iana stands for I am not ashamed. That's the camp I went to as a kid. And I remember, I can drive by every now and then, we'll go, and I'll drive by the camp. And I remember you know, sitting on the stump and praying with a counselor. I remember being by the fire singing uh, as the deer. That's the first time I really remember singing and feeling it. Actually, that, that love for God, that worship. And so we have those places, don't we? We have those times. We have those things that help us remember. And God says, don't forget. Those things are good. We looked at the same passage in May. And that's when we built this stone thing in the back as you look at it. And that was a lot of fun because we were trying to remember what God did. And we had a big line up here and people wrote down you know, what, the, what God had done for them on one of these stones and then laid it up there. And we keep that there for this purpose, to remember, to remember what God has done because God's presence and power in the past gives us confidence as we move forward. How can we thrive in 2018? Look what he's done. Read through the, the Bible. You'll see often they refer back to this. Often, often, even in the New Testament, when, when the new disciples and, and these new believers start preaching, they refer back to Moses. They refer back to the Red Sea. They talk about what God did before. The same God that was powerful and did all that, he's the same God here with us now, and he's powerful. The same God can do the same things now and different things through us. And now, in 2018, guess what? It's the same God. He hasn't changed. He's the one and only God. He's just as powerful. And he wants to glorify himself just as much now as he did then. But we have to remember now, I want to bring up one thing, because maybe some of you are thinking this, and I remember thinking this. Well, they had this big miracle. They got to see this river stop up. Of course they're going to follow him. Of course they're going to be confident, which oddly enough, they weren't. You know, their, their parents did that across the Red Sea. They weren't confident. They freaked out just a day later. But why don't we see miracles all the time? 
There's something about God that he wants us not to live on signs and wonders and miracles. He wants us to live on faith, on his word. We were watching a movie the other day. What were we watching, Lydia? You don't remember? We were watching a movie, and, and they said, seeing is not believing, believing is seeing. And Lydia, like, paused it. She's like, that's like God. <laughs> it's the same idea. Yes, that, that seeing is not believing, believing is seeing that we are supposed to have faith in what God does without seeing everything. In fact, Jesus refers to this in the New Testament. Uh, in Luke, we see a story of a rich man and Lazarus. They both die. And we see this picture now of Lazarus, uh, of the rich man who was evil on earth. And so he's in what's going to be hell, basically. And, and he's talking to Abraham, who happens to be there. And, and so we, we get this picture. And he says, send somebody back to warn my brothers. All my brothers are evil, too. They're all bad guys. But send me back. Send Lazarus. Lazarus, the beggar who I never gave anything to. Send him back from the dead to warn them. And Jesus says this. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Meaning they have the writings. They have the story of what Moses did. They have the story of the prophets. And if they don't believe those, somebody coming back from the dead won't change it. That's how God works. Belief, not always seeing. So verse eight, they obeyed. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. And they took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. They obeyed, and they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and they laid them down there. Now, something else happens. This is interesting. Look at verse 9. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Joshua made a second pile in the middle of the river. But after they cross over and the priests step out, the river comes back. Why a second pile? And, and people debate if this is a second pile or if what actually happened was Joshua made his pile and the 12 men came through and picked that from that pile as they went. I think it looks like two piles. And I think there's a reason. Picture the scene as, as the family, we saw the map there. And that the crossing of the Jordan there was very close to Jerusalem. So for years and years and years, the place where people were going to go to worship was right across the river there. So the people traveling, there would be a road right there. They passed this pile every year. And they'd walk and they'd see the pile. And, and the youngest kid would see the pile and say, what's that for? They'd be climbing on it. What's that for? Maybe the oldest kid in the family had heard the story year after year as they walked through. And they got to tell the story. Well, what happened was our ancestors crossed right here. Like right here, this river, it was, it, it was dammed up. It was stopped up by Adam. You know the city up there? That's where the water stopped. And it was all dry. And our great, 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 great grandparents walked across because God wanted to prove to them that he was powerful, that he was with them, and that he was going to do what he said. You know how we live over here? You know who used to live there? The Hivites. They were giants. They burned their kids alive. But they're gone now because God did that. He said he was going to do that. And so we came across. And so they remember the story. You know, the youngest one is listening, but maybe the middle child, maybe you have a middle child, went, eh, how do you know that's true? They're just making that up. Well, they go, no, out in the middle, there's another pile that's there. How could that pile get there unless it was stacked while the dry ground, while it was dry? So they pull out their backpack and they put on their goggles and they swim out. <laughs> and they, maybe they didn't have goggles, but they can go. But imagine that. 
centuries later, or, you know, generations later, going down, touching those rocks. These rocks right here, this is exactly where the ark was. The ark was right here. Joshua himself stacked these stones. I think that's why. It's proof that this pile is true. This pile, the story is true because that pile is there. And so they would tell the story and remember. Look at verse 18. I'm going to skip down a little bit. And the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And they said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall tell your children, no Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over the Lord as your God did at the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we all passed over. Why do you pass on this story? Why do you tell your kids? Verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. That's the message to pass on. God is mighty. It was about God's glory. Tell what God has done so they know he's mighty and that they will fear the Lord your God. Fear. This isn't exactly a trembling fear. This is an awe fear. This is a reverence fear that leads to obedience. When you fear the Lord, you love the Lord, but you're willing to follow. You're willing to obey. That's why all this happened. So that generation after generation, they would tell the story, they would remember, and then they would obey. They would go his way. They would follow him boldly. The purpose of these memorial stones to remember and to renew a passion for God, inspiring generation after generation to follow and to remind them that he is present with them. This is something that Israel would do. They would set up memorial stones. They would, maybe they would build a well. They often did things to remember because they didn't want to forget. That's the reason you remember something. But Samuel did something similar. Samuel put up a stone. There's a time where Israel was in rebellion. They called out to God. God, through Samuel, delivered them. They repented of their sin. Samuel put up a stone and said, remember what God did and remember that you repented? Keep with that repentance. And he called the stone Ebenezer. That's why we use that term Ebenezer. That's why this thing back here, we call it our Ebenezer, where we remember. But they remember what God did. Now, what about us? 2018 is about to start. God was telling them that I'm with you and I'm gonna do what I promised. Has he made those promises to us? Because we're not Israel. We're, we're his people. We're now the church. What's the great commission? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus begins by saying, all authority has been given to me. And he ends it with saying, and I am with you always to the end of the age. So he's told us to do something, but he brackets it with, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna be with you. He's promised to be present. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have the same promises that he would be with us. But what other promises do we have? In the Bible, it says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What's gonna happen this year? I don't know. But I do know that it's gonna work together for good in his timing. And so we can trust that because he's done it in the past. Remembering what he has done brings him glory, reminds us he is with us, and gives us confidence that, he has said, that what he has said will come to pass. 
But our job is to obediently follow. And again, we already talked about it, the Great Commission. That's what we're told to do. They were told to take the land. We're told, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. That's what we're called to do. And we can go confidently obeying because he's with us. When we stop obeying what we know, I think we can stop expecting to see him work. We can stop expecting his blessing. And so we remember. But what do we remember most of all? We look back and we remember the cross. That's what we remember. They all looked back and they remembered what he did at the Red Sea and at the Jordan. Great. We should remember that too. But we now get to look back and remember the cross. We remember. Last week we celebrated Christmas. We celebrated the coming of Jesus. But we look back at when we were freed from our sin. We look back at when God became flesh and paid the penalty for our sin. That's what we remember that's what we remember. Next week, we're starting a series, People Don't Change, do they? Because this is the time of year, right, when we make New Year's resolutions and then break them. Maybe you've experienced that, like, I want to get over this, I want to change, and you just don't. And so maybe you've heard that phrase, people don't change. People don't change. Well, I'm here to tell you, yes, they do. They do do change because God, Jesus, on the cross, died. And as we've been studying in Colossians, the Holy Spirit now indwells the believer, indwells the church, and things happen. <coughs> things change. Things get better. Lives change. Cities change. That's what we think God wants to do here. Praise God. Yeah, for his glory. But that means we go. But guess what? We don't go alone. We don't go ahead. This morning, we, we prayed, as we always do. We prayed before the service. We prayed at 930. And the prayer that was kind of repeated over and over was, God, don't let us go too far in, ahead of you. But also, don't let us fall behind you. Let us go with you. As he leads, we follow. We pursue him in intimacy and in obedience. And so the question I have as we wrap this up is, are you ready for 2018? Do you know that the unexpected is going to happen, so expect it? You don't know what's going to happen, but you know who's going with you. That's our hope. Our hope is in who's going with us, Jesus. Our hope is in his presence. Not that all the situations are going to work out. Not that we're going to get healthy and wealthy this year, but that he's going to go with us. That's our confidence. Remember Jesus. And let's worship. Lord Jesus Christ, we do remember you. That's why you gave us the Lord's Supper, and that's why we do the Lord's Supper every other week, even though we're not doing it this week. We do the Lord's Supper to remember you, to remember Jesus, you on the cross, to remember that you've promised to go with us to remember, Holy Spirit, that you indwell us and that it's about your glory, it's not about us. And we thank you. Thank you for this picture that we see here in the Bible, these stories from, from 3,500 years ago of how you showed up for Israel. And that gives us confidence. I'm encouraged as I see that they were forgetful, just like me, that you gave them things to remember. You, rem you had to remind them that you were with them and that you were strong. We need those too. God, I pray that we would get more and more stories in 2018, stories that we can tell each other of your glory, stories that we can tell each other of what you've done, stories we can tell others outside the church so that they could learn about your glory and your love. God, let this be a wonderful year. I beg you, I beg you that here at Common Ground, that, that families would thrive in 2018, that marriages would thrive, that those things that have been dragging us down, that in 2018, it would stop. 
that the sin that we just cannot get over, that in 2018 we would, not in our own strength, not in our own power, but because you're with us and you are powerful. You can stop up a river. You can split a sea. You can help us with our things for your glory. I pray that our marriages would thrive, that we would stop being complacent, that we would stop being okay with sin in our lives, and that we would pursue you. Let us see your glory as you save souls and as you grow us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.